Good afternoon, everybody. This is Brooklyn Paper Radio coming to you live on a Tuesday, 3.30 p.m. Downtown Brooklyn. America's downtown, we like to call it. Brooklyn Paper Radio, as you know, brought to you by our good friend, Dr. Joseph Lichter, DDS. Right, Johnny? That's right. And Mm -hmm. also... Who? Who? Village Care Max. Oh, Village Care Max. Live the life you want to live. You know, we always come on the show, we say, all right, we got an excellent show today. Well, I'm going to say right now, let's let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. We got, okay. we got, a, we got a good show. We got a, a good lineup here. We're going to talk about what happened to DNA Info. DNA Info was a great website with a terrible name that no one kind of knew what it was. Not we a think, fan of the name? We've got some stories about the names. And here to talk to me about DNA Info's downfall are uh, Noah Hurwitz. He was a reporter with DNA Info and another publication, Noah? Did you work for somebody else before that? Prior to that, yeah, uh, I believe I worked at a little, uh, a little newspaper, a little place called the Brooklyn Paper. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I believe he worked there, and he and he moved on to DNA Info as promised. I think I promised you that when you started. You did. That right? was one of the first things he said to that me on the phone before <laughs> I even had the job. There you go. And then of course, with us is Ross Bark, and Ross is a freelance journalist. He's you still running for office, Ross? Yes, I'm still running. <laughs> still running for office. But you did a piece on the future of local news. Uh, for the Columbia Journalism Review, and you can look at our website right now. I think we got a, we got a link to that, Johnny. Sure, and let me get do. a round of applause for both of them. We do do it. <laughs> That's good. And your piece basically said that that local news is being obliterated by is it, was that the word? Dis, what's, what was not disseminated? That would be the opposite. I think he said decimated. Decimated. Oh. Decimated is the word. There you That's go. That's the word. You didn't write the headline. No, <laughs> but I would agree. I agree with the headline. Headline summed up my piece pretty well. So DNA Info's closure kind of came as a, a shock to a lot of people. But I got to point out, it wasn't a shock to me. No? No. Why? It was not a shock to me. Well, a lot of things were happening at DNA Info. And I used to read the site as, a, as an editor of a, of a local newspaper. I would go on to DNA Info, check it out, see what they were working on. And I was always impressed with the amount of people they had out there, with the amount of stories they, they were writing. And uh, with just about everything that the website was about. I, but the thing that didn't impress me about the site was the amount of ads that it had. Uh. Now, DNA Info was owned by a billionaire, Joe Ricketts, who also owns the Chicago Cubs. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Well, I don't know. His son owns the, the Cubs. Who knows? I think he does. Yeah, the, the family owns the Cubs. The family owns the, the Ricketts. Okay. Well, they got, they got a lot of money. There's the guy who started Ameritrade, which is a big uh, internet trading uh, website where I think back in the day I signed up for and I would trade I would trade uh, I Omega stock. Hmm. Remember I Omega? I don't, but you sound like a regular Jordan Belfort. No, I, nobody knows. Nobody Omega three. I Omega. Fatty nobody acids. remembers I Omega. I Omega was the zip drives. Remember those little zip drives, jazz drives. Nothing. No. It is incredible. Anyone born before 1985 doesn't remember I Omega. And I made a lot of money with Ameritrade and I Omega. Thank, right. thank you, Joe Ricketts. Thank you. So. <laughs> Long story endless, he starts this whole company with the idea, I guess, that he's going to bring local news, he's going to make it profitable again. He's going to create a, a company that will have lots of people out there, but it, they never seem to get any ads on the website to help pay for it, so this whole time, I'm guessing, Joe Ricketts was paying for it. Is Weird. It that, no, would you, is, that, is that a good summation of what happened? That's pretty much what happened. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what a day was like at DNA Info for a reporter... A hard work and hard scrabble reporter like you know her. What was it like to get there every day? What did you do? 
and then we'll get into what happened after that. Well, so I started off covering uh, Eastside Manhattan, and uh, in in April I, st- I started covering Bed Stuy. Uh, so my my morning routine was a little bit different based on where my beat was. But basically, I would wake up, I would, I would see what was going on, I would send pitches either the night before or that morning to my editor, and then I would pound the pavement. I would go out, I would get quotes, I would take photos, I would make calls, I would, uh, you know keep an eye on Twitter, keep an eye on the on the scanner Twitter, see what was going on, and I would uh, just take care of whatever was going on in my neighborhood, whether that was a restaurant opening or some wacky crime or, uh, you know, whatever neighborhood gripe is uh, getting the people talking. Uh, I would go to community board meetings, lots of them, all the time, constantly. You know. Well, if you were covering a community board in, say, in Bed-Stuy, you're doing, what, how many How many different community boards? Is it just one? Is it two? What, how are you doing? That was about, that was two, because I covered a little bit of Clinton Hill, so that was community board three and community board two. All right, so you'd be going to all those meetings. All those meetings. And you, of course, see Brooklyn Paper reporters there. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yes, they were always there. You had to pat ourselves on the back every once in a while. Absolutely. You're still out there doing that. So how many stories a week were you putting out? At the beginning, there was uh, there was this quota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing three stories a day. Three stories a day at the beginning, and at then the what beginning. happened? Uh, well, in February, there was a whole bunch of layoffs. Uh-huh. Um, they laid off a managing editor. They laid off another editor. They laid off a whole bunch of people. And so th- we couldn't handle the same amount of volume. Uh, editors had more people reporting to them. Mm-hmm. And also, the quota was a terrible idea anyway. Um, and we recognized that. So I was at the end, I was doing... Uh, Usually one to two stories a day, but if I had something, you know, if I had an iron in the fire for a bigger thing, I mm-hmm. had a little bit more leeway to uh, do some longer investigations. And I did. I did some fun stuff, man. I shut down an illegal summer camp. An Whoa. illegal summer camp. And I, uh, I busted a, uh, a scammer who was running a fake, like, eviction GoFundMe. And how did those stories come about? Like, let's let's talk about the summer camp. Well, sure. Just just walk me through it real fast. Okay. So, uh, let's say let's, it's a Tuesday. It was on a Tuesday, and I get a call from a parent who says my kid was going to this summer camp. It was called Camp Bedsty, uh, and uh, she was like, you know, the guy who runs it. Uh, I looked him up. He's an ex-con. He wants uh, embezzled five hundred thousand dollars from a fake free breakfast program, uh, like federal food grants. Mm-hmm. He went to jail. Uh, he got out. He disappeared for a little while. Came back. Started a camp. Uh, no one really looked into him too much. Uh, I sent him there. This is the parent talking, of course. Um, and she was saying, you know, it's poorly run. It's disorganized. My kid was walking too much. They didn't really have a plan. The, the, the counselors were nice, but they were unvetted. It was just disorganized. It was dangerous. So they came to me. They told me this. I said, I'll look into it. So I, I called. the. So summer camps are regulated by the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. In New York City, yep. you need a license. And so I called the Department of Health. They said, this guy doesn't have a license. Well, that was simple. Plain and simple. Uh, well, so, and then I had some more questions. So that's it. You wrote the story. He doesn't have a license. It was closed the next day. They Well, I wrote, I had the story ready to go, but I had some a, a few little details to nail down. And at 11, p- 11 a.m. the next day, the uh, health department uh, got around me and shut down the camp before my story came out. So I had to change it from, you know, maniac runs illegal summer camp to, to the health department. city shuts down. So Although I got him. I got him later. That's right. Noah did get him. But listen, due to some technical difficulties, we have to jump ahead in our show to Vince reading our commercials. And then the second half. Sorry about that. Oh, there it is. That's right. It's the smooth sounds of... Dr. Joseph Lichter. One and only. There he is. Hey, Noah, when was the last time you saw a quality dentist who was truly affordable? I honestly haven't been to the dentist in like four years. you got to go to the dentist. And you know where you got to go? Uh, d- uh, Dr. Joseph you Lichter. you got to yeah. go to Lichter. 
you got to go to Lichter because Dr. Lichter's state-of-the-art dentistry is offered at extremely reasonable prices so that almost anyone, and I mean anyone, even Noah Hurwitz, former DNA Info reporter, can afford to get the smile that he deserves. He's got good teeth, though. He's got good teeth. He's got a good starting point. So right now, his prices are even more affordable because listeners of Brooklyn Paper Radio can get special low prices for some of Dr. Lichter's most popular procedures. You know Invisalign? You're familiar with Invisalign? I've heard about it. Your teeth are pretty straight. They but are. If they were a little out of it, a little crooked, you want to fix that up? It's the virtually invisible alternative to metal braces. Usually costs $5,000 or more, but Lichter... How much? Thousand. Uh, you'll save $1,000. You'll save 1000 all right. You know about the porcelain veneers. They can go for more than $1,000. Lichter, you only pay six seventy-five. Listen, get the bright smile that you deserve because for a limited time only, Dr. Lichter is offering Zoom teeth whitening for only three ninety-five. dollars You still smoking? Nope. Good. Good for you. Good. Call Dr. <laughs> Joseph Lichter's office today, 718-339-7878 to set up an appointment that will make you smile. Dr. Lichter is located at 1420 Avenue P between East 14th and East 15th Streets in Midwood. You can visit them online at josephlichterdds.com. That's right. And see what's possible when health care gets personal. You got somebody who's worried they're going to get sent to a nursing home? Tell them, fear not. Because Village Care Max is the place for you. It's a Medicaid managed long term plan. They help you stay in your home and in your community for as long as possible. They give you a team of healthcare professionals that will work with your doctor, helping obtain the best healthcare options available on this planet. Wait a second, Jay. This sounds very, very expensive. No, it's not because it's Medicaid managed. You just have to have Medicaid. You want more information, here's what you do. You give them a call, 1-800-469-6292, or check them out online at villagecaremax.org. Live the life you want to live. you got to live that life. It's true. Tell them Brooklyn Paper sent you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brooklyn Paper Radio. Brooklyn Paper Radio. Or something like that. That whole bit. I don't know. All right, so Rupert Murdoch likes to have the New York Post around because the New York Post, you know, it gives him some some say in New York City politics, so to speak, in the, in the old days at least. But it's it's just a fun paper to pick up, and you know, big headlines, uh, screaming tabloid news, and that's Rupert Murdoch's style, and that's his voice. What was DNA Info's voice? Sorry, I was tweeting. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, yeah. Uh, look, um, DNA Info had a lot of former tabloid. Editors and reporters, and I think it had a tabloid sensibility as to the stories that we uh, that we chased. Uh-huh. I think it was perhaps a little bit more sober than the Post. Uh, for a long time, we weren't allowed to say that we're cop. Uh, you weren't allowed to say cop. We weren't allowed to say cop. Which let me tell you, we had uh, we had uh, character limits in our headlines. What was the re- what was the reason why you couldn't say cop? I don't know. That was before I got there. You gotta ask the tough questions, Noah. Come on. I was a new employee. I was asking questions of everybody, but the folks who were telling now, me. Now I will say this: as an editor, I say you know I, you might have heard me say this to you when you were writing for me that you know we're not going to use the word. We can use the word cop a lot of times on second reference. Sure. Uh, it wasn't banned, but I knew that on occasion you wouldn't use it uh, in a lead sentence. I didn't mind in headlines. Headlines is completely yeah. different rules. But in a lead sentence, because you know sometimes a police officer could take it, you know, uh, to take offense to the term. Right. Uh, a good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Story yeah, they, of yeah, the headline. They're taking offense. Okay. On occasion. Okay. 
So my point, my point being that yeah. um, you know it was a slightly more sober voice than the Post or the Brooklyn Paper or the Daily News, um, but we. You know, it was a it was an online newspaper. It was a little. It was at times a little bit colloquial, at times a little bit uh, slangy. Unlike uh, unlike you, Vince, uh, my editors allowed me to use contractions such as "its" and. Uh, hey, listen, that's AP style, son. That is AP style. Read it. It's well, AP style. That noise was me sucking my teeth at Vince. I know. <laughs> well, but did they ever say to you, "Listen, this is what"? Did when you started there, they was like, "This is the kind of news that we want to report. This is how we want it done." Or did they just say, "Go write something"? We were we were tasked with writing stories that mattered to our readers, and we were covering neighborhoods in New York that didn't get a lot of coverage a lot of the time, and so that meant that sometimes we covered stories that the New York Times wouldn't deign to to cover, or that the New York Post wouldn't deign to cover, um, and sometimes that could uh, feel a little bit boring, but the stories that nobody else would write about were the stories that I would hear from readers and say, you know, thank you for covering this, nobody else covered this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if anything, our mandate was to cover stories that mattered to the people who lived in the neighborhoods that we covered, and that was sort of the guiding, the guiding principle. And DNA was covering all five boroughs. Yes. So they had Staten Island reporters as well? One Staten Island reporter, yep. Okay. Oh, well, that's a small borough. And yeah, but he, yeah Brooklyn, he ran circles around the advance, let me tell you. The advance is the worst. In Brooklyn, uh, how many reporters did you guys have? Uh, when I started, there was uh, there was uh, like Greenberg, Greenpoint, Williamsburg, uh, Bed-Stuy, Clinton Hill and Fort Greene, and downtown Red Hook. Carol Gardens. There's a, I don't know. There was a lot. Sounded like seven. That sounded like seven. I, I kind of yeah. added that up in my head. I'm not very good at math. How many though. do we have in Brooklyn? Uh, we have five. We have not five. bad. Covering a smaller area though. Okay. We don't cover all of Brooklyn. We cover. Well, you probably cover a larger landmass. Well, we cover. You know, we cover from from well, Canarsie, wrap around the water all the way down to to Williamsburg, and we don't cover Central Brooklyn as as much. Why Although is that? we do. We well, it all has to do with where our papers are distributed. Everything is based on the newspapers, and all of our distribution uh, through all these years were in neighborhoods uh, from, again, from Canarsie. And if you went down, if you go down uh, Ocean Parkway, if you went straight down Ocean Parkway, all around Ocean Parkway, and then if you made it into Carroll Gardens and Cobble Hill and Red Hook, and obviously then Park Slope and out to. Uh, and out to Williamsburg and stuff, but we didn't. I mean, we didn't start covering Bushwick until recently, and Bedford Stuyvesant recently because we moved some newspapers out into those into those I'm areas. But everything everything was based on you know where we where the, where people could pick up the paper. We you know the, our our bread and butter has always been in in newsprint. Now that's something that we can fall back on, and that's something that. You know, when trying to come up with ways to make money online, anything that we make online is in addition to what we're already what we're already making in print. And yeah, have have the papers gotten smaller through the years? I think they have, but we still have a very very strong business model when it comes to print. And obviously, with Dr. Joseph Lichter and, and Village Caremax, a wonderful. Uh, it's true. <laughs> we're getting into radio here, you know. Yeah. So, do you think Ross that that there's a voice out there that that uh, Ricketts was was trying to reach, or do you think that he was interested more in just, you know, making a lot of money <laughs> off of off of local news, and you know, looking at it, do you think he even had a plan? 
I think DNA Info had a plan. Uh, I, I can't speak to what Ricketts personally believed Of in. course not, but... You could uh, try, you know, come on, let's speculate. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think there, I think the voice, you know, it was definitely, as Noah said, a, a so, you know, s- sober, you know, a less, a less zany uh, tabloid, but, you know, m- many, many of sort of the similar approach, approaches taken with a tabloid that DNA Info, DNA Info also took. And we're also not talking about Gothamist, which w- was shut down too, which was entirely mm. yeah, we gotta get different. Yeah, Different animal as and Gothamist um, actually, um, you know, did not do straight news. They were like Gawker. Um, you know, they did a mix of aggregation and investigative reporting, and were very opinionated. And I, I wrote for them recently, and I, I like them a lot. In addition to the info, so in terms of what Ricketts believed in or wanted to do, I assume he had an interest in trying to make some money off local news, and he realized soon enough that you don't get into this business to get rich, at least you don't anymore. Maybe you did in the 1950s. Um, but if you want to get into this business, you get into it because you believe in it and you want to be a watchdog or have an impact in the community. And as Noah said, uh, many of these neighborhoods were um, increasingly not served by the daily newspapers who've been in a long retreat from the outer boroughs um, and from anything that's really not city hall or national politics oriented and you don't see a lot of neighborhood coverage out of the certainly not out of the new york times and not out of the wall street journal and the daily news was once the neighborhood newspaper with bureaus in almost every borough that were as many as 10 uh 10 people 10 people deep bureaus and, and those no longer exist so in in that space stepped dna info and they were providing a real service as was gothamist too and, and you've seen with the now demise of gothamist and gawker and the new the new york observer where i used to work um which cut its newsprint recently the village voice laying off a lot of people you're in addition to losing that um tabloid or AP style reporting, you know, either the straight, you know, news style reporting or, you know, the the tabloidy news with a spin, you're also losing the, um, I would say, news organizations that had real voices and perspectives and very open about it. And I'm thinking about Gawker and the Village Voice and Gothamist, where they're very upfront about their opinions and they were very willing to go on crusades and to attack certain people or really wrote with a sense of righteousness and, and those those places which really had a real value in new york city are have declined or no longer exist and that's a major loss as well yeah gothamist was was interesting because that was a website that i enjoyed and that was a website that really did have a very specific voice it was you know it was kind of it was definitely uh, a younger uh vibe to it uh, I w- always loved that they would review, you know, what happened on Saturday Night Live that weekend, which now the Times is doing. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't done in the past. Um, but Ricketts bought DNA Info, and I mean, bought uh, Gothamist and brought it into the DNA Info fold. And what happened at, at that point? Was there was there a change in management over there? Was there a change in style? Did did and what did you guys think when it happened? Well, let me ask Ross first. What did you think when it happened? Because when I thought I was like, "That's a weird match." I I agree. It never made a lot of sense to me. There were two news organizations with very different sensibilities and approaches, and I didn't quite see how they were going to coexist. Just because they, 
approached news in, in, in entirely different and, and productive ways. So I didn't quite understand why Ricketts bought it. And just as importantly, I didn't understand why the owners of Gotham has sold it to Joe Ricketts. It's one thing to be at DNA Info where you are created by a billionaire who is hostile to unions or is hostile to progressive causes in general. It's another thing where you're Gothamist and you are, you know, proudly left of center and you are, you know, really founded on this ethos of sticking it to the man and really being um, ready to take a proverbial baseball bat to just about anyone. And so it's one thing to be that and then to be sold to Joe Ricketts where it was very odd match from my perspective. I think the owners of Gothamist wanted to make a quick buck. I, I do think they owe a real explanation to their employees and their readers. And I, I'm very disappointed in them. And, and I hope that there are good media reporters really scrutinizing that story a little bit more closely because you really had um, an entity in Gothamist that was existing fine in uh, several states and had a following and was able to make some money. And, and it seemed to me that the founders who, again, they had the right as the founders to make a sale, wanted to make some money for themselves, but they did it at the expense of their legacy and at the expense of all the people who read and enjoyed Gothamist and at the expense of, of course, the journalists as well. Yeah, Gothamist didn't have... it. The ads that ended up on Gothamist tended to be, I, I thought, almost like national campaigns. Uh, there, I don't remember seeing that many local, like hyper-local stuff, the, the mom and pops that, that, we, that we depend on. Uh, I did not see them there. So I, and I think that Rickett's ultimate goal was to go after that type, of, uh, that type of advertiser. I think Ricketts wanted to be able to say, look, I have this uh, audience this middle-class audience in all these different neighborhoods across the country. I have a certain amount of people on these websites at, at any given time, and I can uh, I can get those I can get those eyes on your product. Um, but I don't think that was that was ever that that ever happened. So what was it like in the newsroom for you guys, Noah, when when it was announced that that you had taken on Gothamist? Which was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, kind of a competitor at the time, right? It, it was a shock. No, nobody saw that kind, and it was a, it was a different kind of shock than, say, the layoffs um, mm -hmm. that had preceded it, because those were those were terrible and, and heartbreaking, and we lost a lot of good people. Um, the but <laughs> you know, layoffs happen. Uh, so the layoffs happened at the shortly before the the purchase of Gothamist. About you know a couple weeks. Were there any layoffs at Gothamist? Like one. Just so the Gothamist people came in. Now with the Gothamist. I mean that's always been so, like that's that's been something that I think sort of primed DNA Info particularly for for unionization was DNA Info New York more so than Gothamist more so than DNA Info Chicago and any other IST site got you know we got like nine ten people laid off and that was a third or a quarter of our of our staff and we felt brutalized. You know, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, we, we get we get punched in the face uh, and we're still down. And then we find out about this merger and we we didn't know what to think. First of all, you know, we we didn't have uh, the leadership 
that we had had. We had lost our managing editor. Shortly thereafter, we lost our editor-in-chief. And now the founders of Gothamist were in charge of us. And they... That was my next question. So <laughs> Gothamist was in... They came in... They were bought, but they, they came they were in... Bu- Gothamist was bought by DNA Info, but I think that Mr. Ricketts thought that Jake Dobkin and Jen Chung had the secret to uh, running a profitable news organization. Um, I think that their secret was not paying people very much. Okay. And selling ads. They sold ads. Um you know, a, a mixture of the two. Now, I think he thought that they were going to sort of have the secret to making DNA Info profitable, and uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, uh, Gothamist was one of my favorite reads in the... In Gothamist the, was great. Now, in, there, was, the there, was some, there was some tension of, uh, you know, some, some people, some reporters in New York thought that, oh, you know, Gothamist aggregates our stuff, whatever. I never thought that because... What do you mean by that? Uh, to aggregate, no. like, you know, they do a blog piece that's like, particularly when they do fast news, it's often they pull it from other websites. Ah. Like, But what they did well that was, even when they aggregated, what they did well was they would take, and this is what all blogs have done since the dawn of 2003 or whatever, <laughs> uh, they have, uh, you know, they take something from somewhere else, and they put their own spin on it. And that's original work, you know? And I think that a really good example of that is my buddy Dave Colon, who was a Gothamist employee until the end, and he was really carrying the flame for that. You know, he, he, would, he, would, he did his own reporting. He did great reporting on the uh, Independent uh, Democratic Caucus. Um, and he also, he would take stuff, and he would, he would take existing reports, and he would write the hell out of them and make it just wicked funny, and I loved to read him. And there were other people... Uh, at Gothamist who did that. So I never had a problem with, with Gothamist aggregation. Some people did. You know, there was a little bit of tension. But I think that one thing that, um, you know, the, the, the best thing, that the sort of the best unification of the two sites, and this might not have shown to outsiders, but the thing that really brought people together was the union effort. You know, uh, when, 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 when Gothamist came into the DNA Info office, you know, they they left their beautiful office down in Dumbo, and they went to the beautiful DNA Info office in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Um, I think that the thing that really brought the workers together was the union effort, because we were all working for a common cause. And one of the issues with sort of merging the two sites was sometimes we covered the same things, mm-hmm. right? And so the, there was this question, like, what you know, what does Gothamist cover and what does DNA Info cover? And that was never answered. Um, but we sometimes collaborated, and that that only ever came from the from the ground. You know, that only ever came from I would be at a court hearing, my coworker Emma Whitford would be at a court hearing, and we'd be like, hmm, how do we report this together? Do a joint story and either run it on Gothamist or run it on DNA Info, and mm-hmm. then we would talk to our editors and be like, we're working on this together. So there you go. You know, but there was never any mandate from the top for us to do that, and that was part of the problem was that all of the innovation and all of the the um, sort of the joining together of the two sites came from the bottom, and we never got a, a sense from the top that we were gonna that there was any sort of plan for that. So you guys think that had there been a, the voice of of these of the journalists at the top, it might have changed the way uh, things worked out for for the company as a whole. Absolutely. If, if you guys were up there actually whispering in people's ears. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, that was one of the main reasons for unionizing. When when Mr. Ricketts says that this was a business decision, the union never put forth a single demand. We had not started bargaining. We had not asked for any money. We had not asked for benefits. We had been clear from the beginning that this was not this was largely not about money or benefits. This was about a collective voice for the editorial employees uh, that we didn't feel was protected and we didn't feel was respected. And we 
uh, you know, I think that uh, you know maybe if maybe if you listen to the to the troops in the in the trenches a little bit more, you're going to be a little bit more successful. Yeah. So how many people ultimately were, were laid off, and how many, uh, I mean, specifically journalists, specifically reporters? Total, about? the number I've seen is 115. So uh, journalists, I know in New York, in New York, it was uh, 20, there were 27 members of the bargaining unit, and then there were some editors. So it was around 30 in New York City who lost their jobs. So what's, what's next for these guys? Is there, is there any white knight out there that's interested in... Uh, like coming together, uh, getting together with these guys and trying if, to put... If there is, my email is uh, noah.b.horowitz <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, please email me. We would love to get some money. Um, I don't know. You know, we've there's been some interest and a lot of talk. You know, as sort of as soon as the shutdown happened, there was a lot of people coming to us and saying, you guys should start a worker co-op um, and people who have a lot of experience in, in worker co-ops. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely, you know... Uh, um, something that people are people are interested in. Oh my God! It's a, that's incredible. A, a call came in. Hey, this is Brooklyn Paper Radio. You're on the air. Well, I'm glad I'm on the air. Oh jeez. Oh God. Caller, longtime listener. Is that Vince DiMasselli? Yes, it is. And, and who am I speaking to? Let, let's leave my identity out for a second. I'll get to that in a minute. Obviously, I've been listening to your show. Big fan. I think you do a great job, Vince. And obviously, Johnny. Or, hey, thanks. Or Jimmy's in today. I don't know. But I, you guys were talking about a white knight out there for the folks from DNA and Gotham. Look, I, I know there are white knights out there. Uh, I know that people like, well, for example, Newsweek has been trying to hire some of these DNA and Gothamist people. Oh, so my there, God. There's definitely people out there who are hiring. There are people who are hiring, but are there people out there willing to take this group of people that are just, just, just you know, you know, just, just, just want to get out there and report and, and start another local news product that, that was akin to DNA Info. Where, where, where is that guy? Well, you know where I stand, uh, Vince. I am a guy who I've been reading the Brooklyn paper my whole life. I think you and, and the CNG group are very well suited for a massive expansion, but it's going to take some money. I've always said a guy like Steve Hindy, for example, at the Brooklyn Brewery. Mm. Why isn't he coming in here with a couple of $10, $10 million and, and creating an entirely new DNA info for Brooklyn, run, obviously, by a guy like you, Vince? Well, no, I would, I'd be very good at something like that. But you have to understand, Gersh, the real problem now <laughs> with... Uh, Gersh! <laughs> is that who it is? We miss you, Gersh! The real problem with, with local news right now is how difficult it is to get the local advertising dollar online when you have companies like Facebook uh, and companies like Google that are basically siphoning all that, all that money off. And they're giving... It's, a, it's very hard to compete against those guys who... Really, ha- they've got the market now kind of kind of sewed up. And well, look, I'm going to I'm going to cut to the chase, Vince. I mean, obviously, you don't protect your sources very well. I am Gersh Kunzman. I'm the breaking news editor of Newsweek. I've been a longtime fan of community news for years, and I think the money is out there, Vince. You and I have spoken about quote unquote the model. The model is out there. DNA inf- info. Maybe they didn't make money. Maybe they weren't profitable. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that billionaire is going to open his books. I think the model's out there. I think it's not necessarily based on advertising, based on clicks. Maybe you got to have a print component. Maybe you don't have a print component. Maybe you don't edit at all. Maybe it's blog model, but it's out there, and it needs to be run by guys like Vince DiMasselli and Gersh Kunzman. Gersh, did you say you're hiring? I am at Newsweek, yes. Yeah, uh, are you hiring me? Uh, have you sent me a resume? No. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, it's Gersh Kunzman. Got to go. Thanks. <laughs> that, was, that was Gersh Kunzman, everybody, calling in from God knows where.
Probably, probably. I'm in love with Gersh Kunzman. (laughs) Miss that guy. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? So, uh, you interested in a job at Newsweek? No. I'm uh, I'm keeping my uh, my cards close to the vest here. It's another it's another um, interesting uh, media company. Do you, you know anything about Newsweek, uh, Ross? I know a little bit about Newsweek. Oh, yeah. you know the history of Newsweek. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're they're trying to reinvent themselves. But I went to the Barnes and Noble on Court Street the other day, and I saw a copy of Newsweek, and it's like it's like seven or eight ninety nine. Wow. Something like that. How many pages? Uh, not that big. Not that big. I would say probably in the in the forty. 40, 35 to, well, 36 to 42, 48, something like that. I actually forgot they had a a print edition. Yeah, no, they, they, (laughs) they stopped having a print edition. Oh, they did. And then, and then it came, and then it came back. But, uh, oh, wow, we got another caller. another caller. Caller, you're on the air. All right, first time, long time here. Uh, I got a question about, um, how to fund... Have you guys thought about a subscription-based thing, like have people pay $10 a month? Because I know I definitely would pay for that, for that quality of reporting that is kind of missing now. Anyway, I'm going to hang up and listen. Well, look at that. Thank you. So that's that's the question out there. DNA Info uh, and the Brooklyn Paper, for that matter, do not have any uh, any paywalls. A lot of stuff that we do, or all the stuff that we do is available for free. Now, I know that... Uh, there are ideas out there for creating some kind of paywall. There's all these talks about micropayments and stuff like that. And it's cryptocurrency. A, well, it's it's not cryptocurrency, Johnny. <laughs> micropayments are are tough. I think it's tough to get people. You know, I, I I can only go by myself. Like I can only look at what I do. And when it comes to me paying for things, it's like sometimes it's very painful. It's like, and this is going back to when I was a kid buying like a record album. Like the amount of thought and process went into buying a new album by or a new CD when I was a kid, it was a tremendous amount of stress. And are people like every time people pay for something, I think there is there's a certain amount of stress. Well, there, there's also a certain amount of fulfillment, but sometimes there's a lot of there's a lot of stress. I think, there's, I think there's an answer here. Um, the the paywall has been debated for a long time, and I understand both sides of the paywall. I think you can have a subscription model without a paywall. If you have a product that is quite good, and like the caller just said, who's a DNA Gothamist reader, if you have an, a, a large readership and you have people who believe in it or are, are willing to keep it around, I think you can be successful if DNA Info and Gothamist got together and said, well, okay, we are going to come back, but we're going to ask you, the reader, to pay $20 a year, and you've accessed everything. And there wouldn't be a paywall. just be you're buying a membership in... A company, or, or you're, you're buying, you're buying a membership. You're, you're part of this thing, and so I think you can talk readers into doing it that way at an annual rate, and you could potentially have a funding model that way. That's almost like the uh, the NPR, the the public, yes. uh, you know, the uh, public television. I know the Guardian model. asks for Guardian uh, asks for money. Yeah, yeah. Um, there and there are there are websites that have some paywall stuff, some non paywall stuff, right. and. Uh, I think that the trick is the stuff you offer behind a paywall has to be something that you can't get anywhere else. Well, the the question is though, if you were to do just uh, what Ross was talking about, 
uh, is that enough money to sustain you? And I don't, I don't know. I'm I, not a business you know. guy, but I was just running the numbers a little bit there. And let's say like a thousand people, and hopefully it'd be more than a thousand, pay twenty bucks a year. It's twenty thousand bucks a year. Yeah, know? I know. It's, so uh, that pays for what? <laughs> that pays for uh, that doesn't that doesn't much. pay for big time reporter Noah Hurwitz. I'll sure. tell you that. How many? Sure I mean, but not. what were the page views of? Like I know Gothamist had a huge, huge traffic. I don't know what DNA Infos was, but I assume it was decent. Um, Through the roof. And if you have you know if you have good traffic and you say hey you know and you have you have fundraising drives I mean that's what a lot of that's what the nonprofits do you have drives you have events you actively try to raise money from your readership or and you can see grants pass, as pass well pass around a hat at a community board meeting well that's like the Wikipedia model where they'll come on you know you go to Wikipedia right. sometimes during the month and they're like look just give us a dollar right now if everybody I, gives us a dollar right I now I just we'll be think okay. there there's not much of an alternative to that right now the alternatives are you find someone who's willing to lose money like a not a joe ricketts but someone <laughs> with deep pockets someone with deep pockets who just wants to keep a thing around and if there's enough of those people around they're great um you can try to make money off online advertising but online advertising is not very lucrative and facebook and google eat up most of that money anyway you can try to have a print product which um can be a supplement uh, i'm not I'm not. I don't believe that mm. if you have a if you if you start with a print product like the Voice did or these other publications did, I don't think ending it was necessarily good for you or good for the business. Um, I I disagreed with the Voice killing its print edition. You could have downscaled it or gone to a monthly or figured out a way to to keep it around because it does add a certain amount of prestige, even if most people are reading online, and it's a way to make some extra revenue, especially such a legacy as the. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I mean, the thing with the voices, they must have been at a point where it just wasn't sustainable. Anymore. No, it was, it was actually a lot like Joe Ricketts. It was an owner who hated unions, and when he did his layoffs, he made sure to target the unionized employees. Um, it wasn't making money, but it hadn't been making money for many, many years. Um, and what happened with the voice was they were in a protracted uh, contract ne negotiations that got quite, quite acrimonious and the voice had a long time union and they were seeking um, to protect their benefits and the voice owner did not want to protect those benefits and I mean so, I, I imagine they had money trouble when he bought it so oh to, yes to, they, to, they've to, had to, to right. hide behind like right. oh it's not making money it's like Doug it wasn't making money when yeah. you bought it what were you thinking then what are you thinking As now I think it has something to do with that uh, union. Right. None, <laughs> none of these places have been making money for a while. Right. The, the business, the business excuse is like uh, plausible only if you only if you just you know look at it with blinders on. Because if the business excuse was real, these guys would not wouldn't have gotten into the game. So you know, heck out of here with that. All right, let's take a quick break. Speaking of making money, yeah, we got to make some money here. I think I asked. Did I ask you when was the last time you saw a dentist who was truly affordable? Yeah, you did. It's about four years ago. I did? Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, <laughs> if your answer is, it's been too long to remember, then it's time to see Dr. Joseph Lichter, because Dr. Lichter's state-of-the-art uh, dentistry is offered at extremely reasonable prices so that almost anyone can afford to get the smile they deserve. We talked about Invisalign. It's the alternative to metal braces that uses virtually invisible plastic aligners, shift teeth into place over a period of time. That's great stuff. You go to Dr. Lichter, you're going to save $1,000 on that. You know, isn't it time you visit a high-quality, state-of-the-art dentist who keeps dentistry affordable so everyone can benefit? You can call Dr. Lichter's office today, 718-339-7878, to set up an appointment. Don't just show up. No. No, don't show up there. You want to make an appointment. You want to do this by the book. That's right. Lichter's a great guy. 
But you know, he can't handle just the lines out the door. Well, with us, with us advertising for him, I imagine the lines would be out the door. They are. The Lichter is located at 1420 Avenue P between East 14th and East 15th Streets in Midwood. You can visit him on his website. He's got a great website. It's true. Low prices and high tech. He's at www.josephlichterdds.com. There you can fill out an online smile analysis. Hey. You wear that? And you can get a personalized response from the office. Give him a call today. Call Dr. Lichter. He is awesome. Lichter, doctor, smile, everything. Fantastic. You know how many teeth you have? I have one baby tooth. One I, baby tooth. I think it's 26. Well, listeners, if you're out there and you're worried that your kids are going to throw you in a nursing home, get ahead of your kids by looking into Village Care Max. Village Care Max is a Medicaid-managed long-term plan. They help you stay in your home doing the things you like to do and in your community for as long as possible. Village Care Max, they consist of a team of healthcare professionals, a whole team. They'll work with your doctor, helping you set up appointments. They're organized. They're going to organize your medical care and monitor your medications, make sure you're taking your Tuesday pills on a Tuesday. As a member... Your care manager will visit your house and guide you and your family towards the best health care options possible, working together so you can live the life you want to live. Give them a call, 1-800-469-6292, or check them out online at villagecaremax.org. And like I said, listen, live the life you want to live. Got to live that life, Johnny. It's true. I've been saying that forever. It's true. So I wanted to, we got to end soon because we were, our hour is almost up, guys. That's right. And, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Facebook and, and Google and about the future of uh, of journalism, specifically local journalism. That's what we've been talking about here. And I, I mentioned before how difficult it is uh, to to have to, you know to keep things profitable, to keep to keep things up and running. And, and the big one of the big reasons that is is Facebook and stuff. But Facebook and Google, the the weird thing about it is depend on all of these news sites for content. Uh, you know, we put our stuff on Facebook and then it gets shared by people who read it on Facebook. And then hopefully our goal is to get people, get that, get those views driven back to our, driven back to our websites. But that really, I'm not sure that's, that's what's happening. So the question is, what happens if all these companies go away as DNA Info just did, and now there's nothing. There's nothing left. What happens to Facebook? Isn't it? Isn't it eating its young? Vince, get me in a room with Mark Zuckerberg. I will turn him upside down. I'll hold him by his ankles. I'll shake him until the coins fall out, and I guarantee you, I'll have enough to fund a new local news site. Yeah, I know, but is is uh, that... physically I'll shake him by the ankles. <laughs> is is but shouldn't but shouldn't Facebook or Google? Uh, understand this and have have some kind of plan to to deal with that. They, day. they should. The problem is Facebook. Facebook is starting to understand this. That they are now in the news business. They are now the front page for most people in the world. And and I think this. I think last year and this year that they woke up to that reality that the stakes are much higher than this is a place where people talk about their pet cats and, and you know hang out with friends. It's also the place where people get their news for better and often for much worse. So you asked what happens is, well, when news organizations disappear and reporters who are paid to do good work disappear and editors aren't employed, you get hearsay. You get, um, you know, to, to lack of a better word, fake news or, or poorly reported news or people can throw you know throw up a poorly verified blog post and that can go viral 
and a lot of misinformation gets spread very quickly. And that's what you're seeing that happen right now. Um, my hope is that Facebook starts to understand that it now has an obligation to the news industry and has an obligation to really both support news organizations and be something of a news organization itself, which would mean having editors and having people to really curate news or curate the feed, so to speak, to ensure that you don't see such a wild spread of misinformation. And in the long term, my hope is that Facebook and Google start to really cut cut some of these news organizations in on the action. And that's really asking them to do something that they're not used to, which is stop being a, a, a money-hungry capitalist for a second and, and consider um, the well-being of uh, democracies you know, writ large. So will they do that? I don't know. Um, they're worth many, many, many billions of dollars. You, you could take a fraction of, of the revenue um, they take in and a fraction of their market share, and you could easily, as, as Noah said, subsidize many news organizations. Will they do that? I don't know. Maybe um, maybe Mark Zuckerberg is more of an altruist than I think. Um, Vince, once, once again, get me in a room with Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> and I'll make it clear to him what the stakes are. I, I don't know if that's the answer, Noah. <laughs> but uh, we just might have to leave it. Shot. We might have to leave it. At, we might have to leave it at that. But I want to thank our guests today. It's uh, Noah Hurwitz, a former editor of DNA Info, who's a reporter, former reporter of DNA Info, who is apparently off to Bangor, Maine, to go work with another former Brooklyn paper reporter, it's Dan nice McLeod. No, yeah, and it's, it's cheap, right? That's uh, fake news. Well, it is nice <laughs> and cheap, but uh, Dan has Dan has been uh, wooing me for years now, and I. Yeah. They're a good casino up there. Have you been? I have. Oh, that's great, Johnny. And, of course, Ross uh, Barkin, who, uh, a journalist who's written a, a great story on the, the downfall of DNA Info, uh, among other things. And I want to thank you guys for being here. Are you going to start playing me outro? I was going to give him a thank round you. of applause. Thanks. <laughs> are you ready for the outro? These are the cues that I try <laughs> to give Johnny. The... I'm always a little late on the, the outro, specifically. I'm looking at you. I'm staring <laughs> at you in here pain. Goes. So I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank our callers. That's right. For calling in. And that first guy was a weirdo. I don't yeah, know who he, he was. was crazy. We are we are off next week for Thanksgiving. So I wish you all a happy Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be back in two weeks on Thursday. And we'll see you then. All right. Bye.